Welcome to the Wimbledon Calling Podcast, brought to you by Hall School Wimbledon, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each episode, we'll be interviewing people within the community, asking them questions and spending time understanding them and more about the school. So let's get into this episode right now of the Wimbledon Calling Podcast. Well, it's brilliant to be joined by you, Nigel. Nigel Lowson, it really is. And um, to talk well-being, mental health, how we support work-life balance and so forth. And I just wondered, Nigel, maybe just for the benefit of those listening, if if you don't mind just talking us through briefly your professional journey to date, perhaps, and the sort of experience that you've had, which is so very relevant to, to what we're talking about. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Hi, Andrew. It's nice to see you again. Yes, I retired from teaching in 2014, a little early, but... Before that, I was teaching in, in the independent sector. So I taught in Brecon, Christ College. I taught in Sherborne. I taught in Tunbridge. And then I was a deputy head for 18 years, half my career, looking after the pastoral and co-curricular life of about 1,800, 1,000 pupils in a school in Worcester, RGS Worcester. I did actually have two or three days, which I didn't enjoy. But I'm one of those rather sad, perhaps, in the eyes of some people who believe that teaching is a vocation, that it was a real honour to teach and to learn from the pupils, not just the academic side of stuff, which in a sense is is, is tough enough, but actually try to get under, understanding how the children were thinking, how the staff were thinking, what was driving them on, what was making them make mistakes, what were they learning from the mistakes and so on. So the pastoral care aspect was really became very important to me. And at the end of my career, I decided I would leave early and then try and offer contributions as much as I could to families, to individuals, in the field of well-being. So in the last few years, I've been into business, into schools, into colleges, I've done a lot of on- online work, done a bit of writing, really, yeah, trying to help people be who they are, not who they think they ought to be or who they are told they are, but who they really are at their core and how that personality reflects them more accurately. So there's no longer any dislocation or, or discomfort between the persona, the mask, and themselves. So there's less friction. So that's that's what I've been about anyways. Fascinating journey, isn't it? It's a really interesting journey. And we're delighted to have you on the on the podcast, Wimbledon Calling Today, to talk about well, to talk about some of the invisible, some of the deep down things that kind of drive the learning here. And as you know, because you you're a great friend of the school, we we really do champion those those invisible things. We we recognise the whole child in front of us, really. I hope we recognise the whole teacher in front of us as well, actually. We're not brains on legs. And central to this, and I suppose it's what I wanted to talk to you about today, is this idea of well-being, which, of course, is, you know, when we were, when we were teaching many years ago, it wasn't a word that perhaps was used as frequently as it is now, and I'm very pleased that it is now. But what, in your view, is it and what isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, good questions, actually, because I think there's so many different definitions. And you're absolutely right. I started teaching in the 1970s. And if you were showed concerns, there may may have been just as many concerns, but they weren't expressed by the pupils. They weren't encouraged to express it. And the staff certainly weren't looking for it. And perhaps the pendulum in the eyes of some people may have swung too far the other way. But well-being for me, my definition, is really that it's, it's about balance. I was walking down the coast because I live in South Devon, as you may know. I was walking along the coast with Julia the other day, my wife, and we saw quite a lot of surfers. We often do, and paddle boarders. And for me, they represent what well-being is about. 
they're trying to maintain a balance with all the ocean currents, with the tides, with the wind, with the wave patterns, with other people nearby, and their own internal issues or, or concerns about their physicality or whatever. And it's the same to be, to be well in your being – I think you have to be in balance in all sorts of areas, between your body, your mind, your emotions. And the fourth aspect, which is often neglected, that's because people are a bit scared of it, uh, the spiritual dimension. If you're out of sync, if you're out of focus, if you're out of balance, you'll fall off the surfboard, you'll fall off the paddleboard, which <laughs> one's done many times. If you're out of balance you, and you spend too much time on your physicality, then you, get it, you might overdo the bodybuilding sort of thing. You might become obsessed about what you put into your body to the extent that you become rather boring and tedious. You might even take steroids. And we all know that there's a drift now towards body dysmorphia. The body image idea is much more prevalent than it used to be. And that's something which the schools are very good at now, picking up and, and getting in as early as possible. So that emph emphasis shifting towards the body, if we shift it too much towards the mind and we live in our head too much and we don't notice things, we hide ourselves behind our ideas, behind facts, then it's that wonderful idea of the brain is in that sort of uh, formaldehyde jar, really. And we don't, we don't use the brain to love life and enjoy the curiosity of life, to, to, to experience the intensity of life. We use it to insulate ourselves from it. And, and I certainly was very guilty of looking at the world in that way too much. And I think if we get too emotional, if we get imbalanced in the emotional direction, we, we really are seeking the highs all the time and trying to avoid the lows at all cost. And we love drama. We love showing off and we tell everybody about what's going on in our lives all the time. Now, of course, social media is particularly adept at drawing this out from people. And it's within all of us, of course. And I think we get a little bit too overly emotional, in danger perhaps of crying wolf at times. On the spiritual side, I think that we can become obsessive. Uh, we can become obsessive in, in, into the ultimate, into cults and sects. Uh, and the word, with a capital W, cannot be questioned at any time, even if the world, word was written thousands of years earlier. And I think there's the other side of that, is that we don't believe in anything other than the physical body. And so even though we may feel inside us that there is, that there is something, and I think children know this personally, but the emptiness uh, might lead to a sense of despair and despond. And I think we live in that sort of spiritual aridity, really, at the moment in so many times. So those, four four, those are the four areas for me. And those four areas interact together to create a facade, a personality, which is built perhaps to hide any sort of loss, which we might sense, the loss of connection with our body, as you, as you age, you may not know this yet, but as you age, your hair discolours, your, your, your teeth discolour, your, your belly gets a little bit larger, and so on and so on. So you're losing a bit of connection with that, that sense of your body, your sense of your mind might slow down a little bit, it'll become not quite as focused as it could be, and so on and so on. So there might be a loss of meaning in life as well. And I think that with the way in which organised religion has gone, the way in which the world is going, with climate change, with the issues about terrorism, issues about economic insecurities amongst the young, worries about the future, the wars, which are taking place all the time, uh, very close to home, sadly, at the moment. I do think 
a, a school, it's important for school to remember these things are in the background of the child pushing them, shaping them to become unbalanced, fall off that surfboard, if you like. So I'm hoping that a school such as your own, which I know pretty well, and I know the staff are pretty darn good, actually, I have to say, and I think the, the children are marvellous, and we're allowed to call them children these days, and I think it's a real community. And that is what I'm after, is trying to get the idea that it's about connectivity with yourself, with other people, with nature, and I would argue, whatever your view of the divine, the universe, whatever, higher consciousness, God, whatever your view might be, whatever your term is. And when you've got that all in balance, at least some of the time or most of the time, then you're rocking life. You really are. Your being is well. Long-winded, but there you go. <laughs> when we've chatted in the past, you've had some very, very interesting views on the subject of well-being in the context of change and either being cha- you know, embracing change or being change-averse. And what would you say, perhaps, for those who might feel that their well-being is somehow inextricably linked to a better time in the past? <laughs> well, and, uh, We yeah. can understand that, but what about well-being and change? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I, I really like that question. I, I know I haven't answered what well-being isn't. What well-being isn't is just feeling good for the moment. Uh, what well-being isn't is... is clinging on and hoping that you're going to get better. And it ties up with this idea of change as well through time. Well-being now, you know, it is the only time that you can be at peace, that you can be at harmony, that you can be in balance now, not in the past or in the future. That time has gone. And when we look at the well-being if you like, then we look at it with a sense of regret at times. The regret, in my case, my body shape has changed so much. The sense of loss of youth, the sense of loss of ambition, the sense of loss of career, whatever the sense of loss might be. It might be a physical loss of somebody you loved or, or, or a loss of a memory. That's, you know, all that sort of disappointments. And the way in which our minds are set, we focus more on the loss and the disappointments than we do on the highs. And part of reframing, part of becoming, teaching people how to be well in their being is to reframe that, to try to get the past, to view the past, not just through those particular lenses. And to be is the well-being in the future, to be. And so many people I talk with who find their way to me via online, etc., are so anxious and so worried and fearful about the future, understandably, because they're projecting out the trends of today. And there's so much unpleasantness going on in the, in the world, and we can focus on that. And there's so much personal anguish which people are dealing with, and they expect it to continue. They, they project that out. And so, again, one needs to reframe that and to reframe uh, how they look at the, what potentials are in the future and, and try to get people to appreciate the well-being you have now may or may not extend into the future, may or may not have come from the past, but the key thing is that is now. And it's up to us as individuals, nobody else, to determine whether we're well-being whether our well-being continues into the future or not, but not to the detriment of stopping the sheer love, the sheer enjoyment, the curiosity, the sense of contentment and interaction and collectivity we've got in this moment. And it's that which I'm trying to push for. And if we don't get that sort of... The past is useful, I think, for today's well-being because it teaches us the 
difficulties we've faced. We've fallen off that surfboard or the, or the skateboard so many times. I've got a couple of grandchildren and they love sk- skateboarding. And, you know, they get all the pads and they, they, the gloves and the helmets, but they still end up with grazes all over the place. But they get back on the skateboard and really give it another go until they get it right. Until, and then they try different things, more advanced things, and then they fall off again. And I think that's how I want people to see their life, is that there's a series of falling overs, grazes, real genuine pain and suffering at time that we go through in the present. But we get back up, we get back on life, we get back and we really start learning from what we've just experienced. And what the difficulties we've experienced allow us to know that we can cope with whatever the future is going to bring because we've experienced unpleasantness or pain in the present or the past and all the present finally becomes the past and all the future becomes the present that's very empowering that actually the way you phrase that and i know when we've chatted in the past you've you've mentioned a phrase which i really latched onto which is i suppose in a way linked to resilience which is reasserting our power reasserting our strength yeah and focusing perhaps a little more on when negative things have happened that have affected our well-being and mental health, the fact that we have come through them is something that we often forget, isn't it? And perhaps we need to dwell a little bit more on how it's made us stronger, isn't it? Oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it, it staggers that... I mean, I, when children... Uh, when I was in, in schools and teenagers were... Yeah, I was always in the secondary sector and I was always being sent children who were... Not always, but often being sent ch- children who were misbehaving. And... Teenagers communicate, as you well know, as teachers well know, not just not through their words, but mostly through their actions and their body body language. And so often they get sent to me, and it's it's a cry for help in some way, even though they don't know it themselves, perhaps in a conscious sense. So my line was always, "Okay, what are you doing? What do you? Do? What, why are we here? You know, sort of question, which we come on to later on if you like about spirituality. But the essence really was you're you're struggling to communicate with other people." Has this happened in the past? How did that struggle to communicate with other people, with yourself, to express yourself fully, etc.? How did that manifest itself and how did you overcome it? So you're always using the past in those discussions to help them, as you say, I like that term, I must have used it, <laughs> reassert uh, their strength in that situation. And people don't recognise their own strength because as time goes on, it gets further, that, that period of deep unhappiness, deep pressure and stress, which they've got through and, and got through well, not unscathed necessarily, but they learnt the lessons. As time goes on, it becomes less and less important, it gets smaller and smaller, like at things with distance. And so they, they don't, I don't want people to cling on to the past, but I want them to use the past as a, as a way of dealing better with what they're facing today. How do we use the past, but at the same time not, and it's that brilliant analogy that I hope you'll talk us through of the wardrobe, and not simply selecting the same stock response to future problems that we've responded with in the past. How do we shake that off and create a new response? Because I think that's central to our well-being too, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that a good one to ask a person is, can you walk? 
and mostly virtually everybody I've spoken to have been able to do that or, or were able to do that. Do you wear a nappy still? No. And so well, did you always, did you come out of the womb and start walking? Did you come out of the womb and start not wearing a nappy? So I think, well, the answer is no. But they had to work at it and there were mistakes at the, at the time. You fell over. You know, when little ones fall over, of course, everybody goes cuckoo, aren't they? Lovely. And pick them up. When teenagers make mistakes in how they interact all the time with you, we have a go at them often. And I was, I was quite intrigued by that, really. So you have to hark back and say, look, you have done all these wonderful things. You have made many, many mistakes, but you've got up, got back on the skateboard, surfboard, whatever analogy you like, and off you go because you've shown that strength. As far as the wardrobe goes, most people have got a wardrobe with some clothing, and most people have got a, a favoured outfit. It may be a nice denim jacket or something from my youth. And when I put that denim jacket on, I felt rather cool and, you know, sort of... It, we all know what clothes have a metaphor for protection. We understand that. And if you wear a suit, you're sending a different message out than you wear an old baggy sweater. I'm well aware of that. I'm using the wardrobe as an analogy, and I'm seeing when something happens, somebody says something to you, an event happens to you, somebody cuts you up in the traffic, somebody's unpleasant, you see and, and hear something, or you have a memory of something, or a fear of the future. And then you reach into your emotional wardrobe, your emotional response wardrobe, slide the door open, or open it the other way, and reach in quickly, instantaneously choosing the outfit, which you've always chosen in that situation. And it you put it on and off you jolly go into the land of anger, frustration, disappointment, beat myself up or whatever the phrase is or arrogance or whatever. What I always try to do with people is to work with visualizations. I, we know the power of visualizations. We understand the science behind it now and how it, how effective it is. Just And so I get people to see the hand going into the wardrobe, see the other hand actively pulling the other hand away and say, do you really want to wear that outfit again? Let's say it's a, a yellow lycra onesie, which was all the fashion last year, but your body's changed a bit. <laughs> Very unite. Yeah, it is so me, yeah. My body's certainly changed. And it's last season's colour as well, you know. So, but I want people to actively see the hand move. Say, no, I'm going to swap and buy that and wear that three-piece suit or that lovely baggy sweater. I'm going to, be, I'm going to choose my emotional response because I can do that. I may not be able to do it immediately and every single time, but neither could I hit, uh, go to the toilet after, uh, unless I had years and years of nappies and sometimes they failed. And when I was trying to learn to go to the potty, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure I made mistakes like I did when I was walk, learning to walk. And it's, and it's training ourselves and giving the people the confidence that you've done all this in the past. You've got great strength. You've great resilience. And you just keep going and you'll get there. And don't worry if you don't. You make a mistake. Well, it, that awful Americanism, isn't it? Miss M-I-S-S hyphen take. So you're mistaking in a movie of your life sort of thing, you know. So, yeah. Uh, I hope that answers the question. I know I waffled on a bit there. I quite like wardrobes. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about briefly was, because it was really fascinating when you were saying in your role over many, many years of dealing with children who perhaps were um, encountering various difficulties behaviourally or whatever, you you wouldn't just talk through the situation that had happened. You'd broaden that quite quite substantially to talk about why we're even here. Oh, yeah. And you found that extra sort of spiritual, existential dynamic helped. Always, to be honest. Really? Always. How interesting. There were some children who uh, would send to you and you knew that they, they just needed telling off <laughs> and sorting out. And if they said to you, you're going to tell them off and sort them out in that way, give them a 
punishment. And my line with them was that I would go to my secretary, I was lucky enough to have a gorgeous and magnificent human being as a spe- uh, secretary, and she, she would know. She would come and tap on the door, coffee or tea? Um, and we'd have a cup of coffee and a tea. I would have a cup of coffee and a tea with the child. I know already this is going to extend my working day because it's going to be a half hour, an hour's conversation. And I know that's not easy, but I was willing, I just felt it was important every single time when I, when I sensed this child was ready for that sort of conversation. And I said, look, why are you here? And they'd say, well, I, I've upset Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones or whatever, or both. Um, and I said, well, well, let's put that to one side. We'll deal with that later because that's really easy. It's just misbehaviour. I'm going to punish you. I'll tell your parents and they'll get upset and all the rest of it. But you'll get through it and we'll work on because you're a decent chap or a decent girl, you know. I said, what are you really doing here? What are we here for on the planet? What is your purpose? And to be honest, I've never, I never met one teenager, and indeed even younger than that, pre-teens, who didn't want to discuss that question, who didn't have interesting ideas. So you sit there, and the use of silence is so important when you're talking to children. Too often, we interrupt. I, you can clearly see I talk a lot, so I, I had to train myself hard to not do it. Because they want to express that sort of sense of, yeah, inner concern, which is manifesting as an outer frustration, really, in their interactions. And so that was always quite fun. And every single child, by the way, felt there was a purpose that there was something more than just the physical existence. You know, it may be that their views change as they age uh, and harden and all the rest of it as the brain settles down, the plasticity of the brain, brain is with us throughout life, but it gets less plastic. Perhaps they become uh, more atheistic about it or whatever. Uh, but at a particular time of the conversation. So by placing them concerns which were important concerns about how they were misbehaving in class or disrupting the learning of others or just being rude frankly at times or disinterested placing it in the context as a possible symptom for their inner turmoil if you like on that spiritual level i i i always thought was quite useful really but you do need time for it you do need time and that's they what schools haven't got well they do yeah i give them the forum absolutely if you want the forum for that and perhaps we could maybe close by listening to your thoughts on laughter, because I know you've got some views on that as well, haven't you? The, what we don't, well, we certainly don't laugh enough and we don't dance enough. Although if you see me dancing, you certainly don't want to. But <laughs> I do think we take ourselves so seriously and we wear so many masks, men, women, lovers, partners, parents, uh, disciplinarians, teachers, whatever mask we happen to be wearing at the time. And what we don't do is laugh enough. We don't play enough. We're not curious enough about other people. We're not curious enough about ourselves. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to really appreciate the beauty of nature, the beauty of life. And that means, I think, that we're sort of only, we're missing, we're sort of the colour of, it's a bit monochromatic, really, life. So laughter vital, I think. If you don't know what, if you don't know what to laugh about, then uh, stand in front of a full-length mirror naked. Uh, for a few minutes uh, by, well certainly in my case you'll have, no, only f- <laughs> do it without the video running obviously uh, you'll certainly have a jolly good laugh and it's exposing yourself to it I think is really important uh, so laughter yes please yeah I think that's a key piece and then finally so that we're not ending on the uh, on the mirror image <laughs> I've, I've talked to you a few times uh, in this role about 
the importance of having perspective and how, how just quickly i mean this is how do you catch the ocean in a bucket but just a few thoughts on how we can perhaps sometimes not just be overwhelmed and embroiled in things but actually step outside and watch ourselves in it a little bit gaining that perspective that one has in a holiday but not always in term time you have you have to bring it uh, into the moment it's being whatever it is happening to you at the time and you can do that simply by breathing you can do that by getting into the habit of every in between every lesson, every half hour, every hour, whatever you wish. Just have a little ping on the phone and just breathe. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Just breathe longer. Just try and breathe. Because most people breathe between 12 and 15, 18 times a minute. Aim for four to six in a minute. Two long full deep breaths really brings you into the moment it oxygenates your brain remember your brain is three percent of the body weight it takes about 20 to 25 percent of your oxygen and we want to take control of our emotions we can only do that if we've got more oxygen in, in our brain so bringing ourselves into the moment the other way of doing it is simply by putting your fingertips together and feet gently just feeling or just touching your upper lip that also reduces the cortisol level in in, in the body believe it or not just Touching your skin and noticing the touching of the skin. So somehow or another, there's many, many different techniques. We can go, well, as you might gather, I could go on for days about how to bring yourself into them. And it's that. And you, we do that all the time. And eventually it becomes automatic after about two or three weeks. But initially you set up a little uh, habit-forming uh, thing like that. It's like with self-harming, we used to uh, teach children to twing the elastic band when they wanted to hurt themselves a little bit, or have some ice cube in the in the in the uh, in the arm, etc. And so, you've got to eat well. You've got to hydrate yourself. If the urine isn't uh, clear, then you, uh, you 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 haven't got to you haven't got total control of your emotions because you're, you're wasting too much energy on other stuff. Really, exercise, getting out in nature doing a bit of physical exercise perhaps it could just be stretches at the desk if you can't get away from the desk it doesn't have to be sweaty stuff it isn't difficult to be well in your being and the final thing i would say about it is is the overarching thing is expect to be well that is our natural condition wellness physical mental emotional spiritual wellness is natural and it's there ready for us we just need to give it time to come out from us really and so expect to be well if i i'm a, a little bit of an optimist as you might gather so when i go into a room the research is i go into a room of 50 people i will see the people who are smiling and cheerful if you're a negative i go a negative person goes in they see the people who are frowning and are sad. they don't notice the goodness and we don't notice the goodness in the world we're often fed not the goodness but there is so much out there and if you just give if you want a a task for a day just go around and try and make an effort to notice the acts of kindness it might be somebody opening a door for somebody else saying thank you very much in a shop you will notice it and the more you do that you it just becomes automatic so if you fall off the surfboard Keep getting back on because practice makes progress. It's as simple as that. It doesn't make you perfect, thank goodness, but it makes you progress towards feeling well in your being at all times. What a marvellous summary that was. Absolutely brilliant. And, And knowing you as I do, we could talk for hours about this, actually. 
And it's such useful advice and it's worth us all just sitting and listening. So I really hope as many people as possible listen to this because it's been an absolute joy. And as always, very edifying. Learned a lot and I hope we can do perhaps a part two soon, if that's okay. Practical ways, yes. Why not, Andrew? Thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. That's it for this episode and thank you for listening. To find out more, check out the school website, hsw.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch and we look forward to connecting with you next time. Bye for now.